Captain's Log, the podcast devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on the supernatural, occult, and the all-around strange happenings of our world. Our mission? To boldly entertain like no one has before. Hey everyone, it's Jose here. Uh, no Mason for this little bit. I just wanted to record a little reminder slash uh, explainer at the top of the episode to let you all know that episode 26 and 27, like we had mentioned in uh, last time, were all one big episode, but we went way over time because we're not very good at this. Uh, and so we decided to literally just find a point and split it into two episodes uh last time we stopped at the jersey devil and we're picking up literally right after that with the remainder of new jersey and the entirety of new york this second half was probably my favorite part of the episode uh some of my favorite stories were in here so this should be a really good one uh there's no intro or anything like that we're just jumping right into it uh well i guess aside from this and uh yeah we will see you guys in two weeks and enjoy this one thanks Now, this next choice might be a bit controversial, since many have accepted it as fact. But I must remind everyone that although it has been heavily reported on and covered, nothing has been confirmed thus. It is still unsolved and capable of being labeled an urban legend. In June of 2014, Derek and Maria Broadus had just closed on their $1.3 million six-bedroom dream home in Westfield, New Jersey. Eat the rich. I can't wait for these guys to get murdered. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I hope they. I hope they do six bedrooms. Fuck you. You think yeah. you're better than me? You think, you think you're better, you're than, fucking me? better huh? than me? Huh? Huh? You're walking around here, think you're fucking better than me? Huh? Look at Mister B- Six Bedrooms. Oh, Fuck look at Mister Job over here. I can afford a house for my family. I can put fucking food on the table. Oh, I'm a millionaire. Suck I don't my have. Dick. I don't have fucking stains on my shirt all the time. Shut the fuck up. All right, we did. We made fun of these people too much for them to be <laughs> murdered in 2014. So uh, we they were. They were murdered. Uh, the oh, home okay. was. Then look at this big <laughs> piece of shit. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. The home was located only a couple of blocks from Maria's childhood home, and Derek had just become a senior vice president at an insurance company in Manhattan, which allowed him to afford the home. Oh, look at me! I don't work mm. at fucking Radio Shack. Oh. What kind of what kind of dickhead is a uh, vice president in Manhattan and chooses to go to Jersey? Some fucking. This guy. What a douche. What a douche dick. They purchased the property only a few days after Derek's 40th birthday. The family began to joyously move their belongings uh, into their new home in this peaceful neighborhood. Or so they thought. They thought it was peaceful, but they were wrong. One day after... (laughs) They were just... They're just heroin addicts hanging out (laughs) under a bridge imagining they're moving into a house as a family. (laughs) Yes. That was it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the one, one day after finishing a day of painting inside the house, Derek went outside to check the mail. They hadn't completely moved in yet, so he didn't expect much mail. But what he found was more than he could have ever asked for. Oh my god, f- they're having a sale at Maurice's! He found an envelope addressed to the new owner in thick and clunky handwriting. It read in part, 
Dear fuckwad, <laughs> you move into our neighborhood. Oh, Mr. Job fancy over here. House. I drive a fucking Range Rover. I think I'm so much better than you. My, I, win- actually know- I, I actually have windows on my car. I don't have fucking garbage bags taped over it. Look at me. I've got all full set of teeth. Fuck. It was us. Jose and I wrote this letter. <laughs> yes. No, but this is what it read. <clears throat> this is going to be my, my watcher voice. Ooh, like Dearest it. new neighbor at 651 Boulevard. I'm allow sorry, are me- you are you trying to scare me or seduce me? Both. Oh, allow me working. to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now. And as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Wait, wait, and then we didn't watch it for fucking what? Like, from the 60s to 2014? Well, at some point, him and his dad switched. It's just, okay. I mean, it's just like, it sounds like, well, the dad, the 20s, you know, it's fine. Whatever. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors, such that you can destroy the house as it's supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. <laughs> I said tisk 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 instead of going. How do you? How do you even fucking? I guess it's the same. Doesn't really matter. I think it's it's actually more like... That's what it is. Right. You're right. Yeah. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with a young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed that... Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? Hundreds of cars pass by the house every single day. Maybe I am in one. Check all the windows that can be seen from 657 Boulevard. Perhaps I am in one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The Watcher. It had no return address and no discernible clues as to who had sent the letter, but the message was clear. Derek was alone at the home, and it was after 10 p.m. He raced around the house, turning all the lights off so that no one could see inside the home. He then called the police, and an officer arrived at the house, read the letter, and said, What the fuck is this? (laughs) Derek returned to his former home, told his wife of the letter, and they emailed the former owners, John and Andrea Woods and asked if they had ever received anything like the letter Derek had discovered. They admitted that in the 23 years they had lived in the home, they only received one letter, a couple of days before selling the property, but thought nothing of it, assuming it was a prank by some local high school student. The letter, the one that threatened to learn our children's names and then (laughs) call them to me. Remember how we just thought that was bullshit, Yeah, we just thought that was bullshit, Annie. 
Do you mean that? Oh, I slipped my mind. <laughs> you know me, scatterbrain. <laughs> no take backsies. Bye. That's pretty much what happened. The next day, both couples went into the police station to talk with the detective, who told them to keep the whole thing secret, as to not tip off any of the neighbors who were all now potential suspects. For the next few weeks, the family was very watchful, but moved forward with the renovations like nothing had happened. And then, another letter arrived. This time it was found by Maria, and this letter addressed the Broadusses by name. The author seemed to know more about the family than before, knowing the nicknames and ages of their three children. It read in part, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload careful of your personal belongings. The dumpster is I think, in I think, touch. I think, I think the writer forgot a comma behind mm-hmm. unload. Yep. Uh, sorry. Oh, well, I, that, no, well then that's the thing is that you will notice that he does make a lot of mistakes and typos and stuff like that. Interesting. Okay. The dumpster is a nice touch. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. <laughs> this fucking guy. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You're stealing its history. <laughs> Look at Mr. Oh, Mr. <laughs> fucking job over here. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room, imagining the life for the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then Wait, it got I thought old. his dad watched it in the 60s. But yeah, which implies that he was a child in the 60s. And okay, so, I guess that's yeah. true. I'm, a, I'm dumb. My then bad. it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time they will. I am pleased to know your names now, and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement, or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher, and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on, and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bradis family. Welcome to the product of your own greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving day. <laughs> Have a happy moving in day. You will, you know I will be watching. The Watcher. Oh my god. I. <laughs> okay, I'm already going to say this is scary. It is, yeah, I mean, spooky. Yeah. Fuck this. This is... <laughs> 
Oh God, I would. Uh, this, I didn't like the the basement one. Was the one right? That that's the there. one that I gets me like, every time. Yeah, the, they won't. Oh you won't be able to hear their screams or whatever. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, Buzzfeed actually I, yeah. covered this. Buzzfeed Unsolved. They did a really good episode on this. The Watcher. Um, at this point, Derek learned about the eccentric family next door, the Langfords, and their strange adult son Michael, who was described as a Boo Radley character. The Broadduses uh, went that from To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Was the, he the one that was accused of rape but didn't do the rape? Exactly. Which is it's weird okay. to to describe this man this way because I remember no he wasn't accused a... of the rape. He was the guy who like lived in the abandoned old house that all the kids made up like legends about, and then it turns out he was just like really nice and his family had abandoned him basically. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, I guess the Broadduses went to the detective with their suspicions about the Langfords. The detective told them he was aware of the family's reputation and of Michael and said he had already been brought in for questioning, but his speaking manner and schizophrenia ruled him out as a suspect. Yeah, Several... I mean, you know, he had schizophrenia, so there's no way he could be writing creepy letters about watching people. <laughs> well, his whole reasoning was that, like, he just didn't have the vocabulary that was used yeah, within the enough. letters. Yeah. Uh, several weeks after the second letter was found, a third letter arrived. It read in part, and again, this is not the whole letters. The, it's, 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 this is what was released. Oh, it's shit. assumed that the letters were much longer. Um, well, I mean, because the last one, you said it had their names and nicknames mm-hmm. and shit, but that one didn't, but you didn't read any, so right. I assume that was like part of it. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. And thus begin the Broadus's tiring crusade to find the identity of the mysterious Watcher. So, just real quick, sorry. <sighs> mm-hmm. So, did they did they just live there? So, they had a, a second home where they were living before they moved in. Uh-huh. And so, they were in the process of moving in when the letters arrived. And they got right. so spooked that they didn't... They were. They hadn't fully. They didn't move in yet. Okay, gotcha. So that's yeah. what he meant by the kids. Right, like he's saying, like, come, like, why aren't you here, or whatever. Maybe it's because of gotcha. you, buddy. Maybe don't send the letters oh, yeah. until after they move in. Wait you until they're idiot. fully moved in. I know. I mean, like, what is this stalking one hundred and one? Jesus. And thus began the the Broadus's tiring crusade to find the identity of the mysterious watcher. Derek set up surveillance, hired private investigators, even reached out to an old FBI friend who had been the inspiration for the character of Clarice Star- uh, Starling in Silence of the Lambs, which is a fun, interesting Hello, fact. Clarice. Wasn't she kind of not very good at her job, though? Uh, haven't seen the movie, but probably. If I recall correctly, she kind of just wouldn't have done anything if it weren't for the murderer telling her what to do. And he also manipulated her. It's been a while since I've seen it. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I'm remembering. <laughs> All- I mean, the movie's good. I just remember feeling like she like, was had zero control in that entire movie. She wasn't a very good... She's a woman FBI. in a movie, so... Hey, Jodie Foster crushed that role. It's really good. The movie's good. I just remember, like I said, Clarice being like not good as an FBI agent because she just kept getting manipulated by mm-hmm. the murderer, but whatever. All to no avail. The Broadduses tried to sell the house six months later, 
too afraid to move in. But rumors had gotten out and they found it difficult to sell at the price they wanted. They would go on to sue the Woodses for not disclosing the information of the letter they had received from the watcher, but the case was thrown out by the presiding judge. They even tried to split the lot into two new homes, but the city's planning board denied them the request because of community outcry against the action. They eventually found a renter who was willing to stay at the property, but then another letter arrived, this one reading, Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard follow my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. All right. <laughs> that, that, he lost me it's not that that was a lot less scary right there that one was sad like that's like like that's like a that was like a a tweet from our president just being like everything went perfect everything that i said was gonna happen happened i could shoot somebody on fifth avenue my my supporters i could shoot somebody on all hail donald the savior of america donald j trump that's everybody they follow my orders to a t no problem i have the highest approval ratings I'm the best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Watcher also alluded to getting revenge in one form or another, stating, maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you fall sick, day- feel sick is what he meant to say, but it says fell sick. Uh, day after day after day after day after day. Imagine one too many after days. After- well, imagine getting a cough after that. And you're like, holy shit. I'm just like, feel sick day after day after day. <laughs> oh, <a> no. <laughs> maybe, oh, maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. I mean, If you're not in a yes. plane, I'll get you in a car. And if you're not in a car, I'll, I'll hide in a bush. And then when you ride by <laughs> on your bike, I'll put a stick in your spokes and you'll crash and I'll run away. <laughs> That would, I'm the watcher, and I'm still in control here, I promise. That would be the last of the letters received from the watcher. The case still remains unsolved to this day, but just recently, in August of 2019, uh, the Broadduses managed to sell a home for $960,000, taking a $400,000 loss. But perhaps Man, gaining woo-hoo. a sense of, rel- of relief at the idea of finally being free from the watchful eyes of the sinister watcher. I'll include a uh, a much more in-depth article written by The Cut that I really liked in the show notes. But, um, Mason, do you hail The Watcher? I hail The Watcher. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was pretty it's good. It's a weird I, one, huh? And it's... Okay, so I know you said it was just a, it was still an urban legend, but are the is the the letters, are they real, though? Like You know what I mean? To like, this is there, like, day, the letters? yes. The, so everything that ha- the only reason I say it's an urban legend is what I mean by urban legend is the identity of the watcher, right? Everything else right, that I yeah, said yeah. did conclusively happen. It has been oh, backed shit. up. Um, that article uh, written by the cut 
the guy interviewed Derek, and that's where he got those excerpts from those letters because Derek uh, showed him the letters. Um, wow. The calligraphy, like they did DNA tests, calligraphy tests. It's not the couple because a lot of people accuse them of faking it just right, because they had enough. buyer's remorse and people were like, well, they had mm. buyer's remorse. They wanted to sell they the house. They to get out of it. But I think but, there are much better ways to fucking se- try to sell a house than to make up this. Is there evidence of the, the alleged letter sent to the first couple before they moved? No. Um, okay. The couple just said that they had it and they tossed it out. Um, but uh, uh, that, that letter doesn't exist. That's well, it doesn't. We don't. That... No one has. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, but that's that's suspicious, though, that... You know, I mean, because that could be a buyer's remorse thing. Now, honestly, I kind of believe that if the one letter that supposedly was given to the other couple was thrown out, but they kept the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, like that's so the woods threw out theirs. You know what I mean? Like they received it and threw it away. Oh, okay. Because it was gotcha. the previous owners of the house who, days before they made the sale to the. Um, Broadus's. They said that. Oh yeah, we did get one of those letters, but we thought nothing of it, so we threw it away. Okay. 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 Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Is there proof that they said that? Yeah. So they gave that statement to in an email okay. to them, and then when they went okay. and spoke to the police, they okay, also confirmed a... that. And that was before the sale was finalized. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. That, okay. Um, I think That's it's spooky because it's just it, it it's really weird. Is. It's like a modern zodiac, but without the killing. It reminds me of, I think it was Ohio. There's this great unsolved mystery where some this couple kept getting like really menacing letters, just like this kind of. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And it was like filled like it was like a whole town or something was getting like personal letters, like with like their information talking about people having affairs and shit. Ah uh, yes, um, mysterious letter town Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Is that are no. you agreeing with me or are you just making sure? I don't know. No, yeah, I'm pretty I, sure that I, I think I have heard of that. Yes. Uh, which is a fun one that you guys should check out, but um, uh, yeah, no, like it's uh, it's pretty good. I yeah, mm-hmm. I think that was scary. Yeah, Circleville. It's called the Circleville oh, Writer. Yes, okay, you yes, look, yeah. you should look it up. Yeah, we here at Captain's Log are no strangers to strange tales about human-animal hybrids haunting stretches of road. And Fuck, neither- I got a dog man living in my house, <laughs> and <laughs> and neither is New Jersey. I'm no stranger to him. Who who's the dog man? The dog man. What do you mean? Who's the dog man? Oh, just a a dog man. It's a dog man. Wow. You'll have to tell him I say hi. I just waved at him. Did he wave back? Yeah, he was just getting a drink out of the fridge. Ah, nice. It's funny because he has hands, but when he gets he sets the cup down on a thing and then he like goes like (laughs) like a dog does, like slops it out of the cup. It's great. Nice. Uh, New Jersey is also not a stranger to strange animal-human hybrids because they have their own uh, dog-faced lady bridge in the form of Pig Lady Road. This strange (laughs) legend of a murderous female-swine hybrid goes a bit like this. Um, My wife. I was trying to do a Kermit. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Look at Miss Piggy. Hey there. Uh, My wife. That's it. (laughs) That's all he does. Oh! Kermy, I I don't think I can do a Miss Piggy. I can't do either. Oh, really, Kermy. Oh, I'm I'm. Stop. I can't. Yeah, I can't. So what was what scene were you acting out before you cut off? <laughs> oh yes, Kermy, a little harder. Okay, hey, Miss right. Piggy. Oh God, Piggy, Piggy. Yes, you're giving it to me so good. <laughs> oh God, what is happening? Stop. 
<laughs> Muppets have sex, my Mason. Goddamn childhood. Um, uh, bork, bork, bork. There you go. That's mine. On the lonely stretch of Roycefield Road, if you call out for the pig lady three times, the ghostly apparition will appear before you. She will chase after you, and if you are left alone on the road, will scratch you with uh, an axe that she carries, leaving you bloodied and scarred. There are many. Just, the term "scratch" is so it's so non. She just comes up to you and she's like, "Beep," and just like a, scratches you. Like a fingernail. You. Like, yeah. I'm like, ah, it's ow, Jesus, ow. fucking ah. There are many variations to the story, but the two most popular are the tale of a young disfigured girl and a poor wife murdered by her husband. The story of the disfigured girl tells of a secluded farmer's wife who gave birth to a baby with horrific disfigurement. The father was did, so. Did she have sex with it? Mm, never mm. mind. The father was so repulsed by the sight of his daughter that he cut off a pig's head and placed it on her head. The young girl was teased and ridiculed oh, no. without mercy until one day after her mother had died of an illness, the girl cut her father's head off and replaced it with that of a pig. She buried her parents in the backyard of the farmhouse and the pig lady tried to live a peaceful, secluded life. That was until two young boys heard of her and decided to pull a prank on the woman. They went by the house during the day and shouted horrible insults at the woman, returning that night to place his severed pig's head on the porch. The boys were never off. heard from again. Hey, yes. Hey, Craig, Craig, I got a prank for you. Yeah, what? Big woman. Okay. What? Okay. What we do is. <laughs> what we do is. <laughs> we just yell. We yell mean shit at her. Dude, yes. That's it. That's all. That's all I got is a prank. I don't. Wait, wait, hear me out. And then we come yeah. back and we fucking put a pig's head on our porch. <laughs> prank masters. Oh, dude, Ashton Kutcher is so excited for us to be unpunked. <laughs> I don't know what year this is. <laughs> I don't either. Have you heard of punk yet, Craig? If you haven't, you're gonna love it. It's happening soon. <laughs> Years later, the woman passed away, and when they dug up her flower garden, they discovered the remains of her parents and the two young boys buried underneath it. The second variation of the story states that the pig lady was decapitated by her husband and that if you drive down Roycefield Road at night and honk three times, a glowing pig's head will appear. Um, a reader of the website We Are New Jersey told of an encounter he and his friends had with a pig lady, saying, We all admitted to being scared except for my friend Jen. She was calling us stupid for being scared and taunted the pig lady when she got out of the car. We did the routine and sped off. Uh, so, uh, sorry, I should have clarified. So, one of the like popular legends is you... You leave some like one of the popular things to do is you leave somebody out of the car, you honk three times, you scream "Peg Lady," you drive off ten minutes down the road, and then ten minutes back, uh, to, to or five minutes down and then five minutes back, and then supposedly when you come back to your friend, they will have encountered the pig lady. Yeah, um, fuck that! Don't do that to me. I, I would do that with if someone else stayed with me, I'd be fine. But I mean, I'm a I'm a coward. Fine, I, I'm not doing that alone. I freak out uh, all the time when I go camping and just all of the noises in the woods. So I oh, it's not it. even that. It's just like I don't want to be I don't want to be alone in the in the, on a country road to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, there's like coyotes and shit out there. Uh, well, you. anyway, so they did the thing, right? Yeah, they sped off. And then he says, We arrived back and laughing at how scared we all were, except there was no Jen. We thought she was playing a joke, so we got out of the car. My friend Shannon heard crying from a nearby bush. 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 My bush. My, George Dibley. My Jen was in the bush. 
My friend John carried Jen out, and we got into the car in silence. After leaving the deserted road, we stopped to get gas. Jen was still crying, and I turned to comfort her. That's when I noticed the scratches on her face, arms, and legs. We dropped her off, and she never spoke to us again. She moved one year later. Jen, did you get attacked by a cat? Meow. Wait, Jen, are you a cat? <laughs> what, what, what just happened? What the fuck? Did we become a cat instead of our friend? <laughs> but anyway, spooky or kooky, Mr. Schrader? Um, <coughs> Mr. Uh, yeah, Schrader? It's, it, it's spooky. It's German, so it's not, not how you pronounce that. So spooky, then, you say? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm just imagining having to be alone on I think, that bridge. Right, I'm I like, think what makes it shit. spooky is the thing that you have to do. Yeah, because um, putting myself in that situation, I don't like it. I got scared mm-hmm. on that bridge we were on. Yeah, the, uh, what was it? The Swingin' Bridge? Yeah, Swangin', Lover's Leap. Swangin' Bridge at Lover's Leap in Columbus Junction. <laughs> uh, because now, I live in a cowboy state. <laughs> now, it is possible that this batshit story uh, has some possible historical connections. Uh, In 1922, a murder in Somerset made the national headlines. The dead bodies of a local and married, of a local preacher and a married choir singer, were found in the shade of a crabapple tree on a lover's lane in Franklin Township. Sorry, this just reminds me of this is. I don't even think you're gonna fucking. Do you you know the band Primus? No. Yes. Uh, they have a song called Buckethead. Where it's about a guitar, like a fucking up kid of a preacher that lived in a chicken coop and. Became a guitar, but it's like a spooky kind of song. Mm-hmm. Um, and sorry, it's just when you said the, it reminded me of it already with like the pig's head uh-huh. on her head thing. And then the when you said the Reverend, it did. Sorry, made yeah. Reverend Edward Go Wheeler, son of a preacher man. Reverend Edward left sting. Re- Reverend, I, I had fifteen seconds. Reverend Edward Wheeler, forty-one, and Mrs. Eleanor Reinhardt Mills, thirty-four, had both been shot in the head. Then carefully laid out side by side with the minister's hand placed gently beneath the choir singer's shoulder and neck. Strewn around their bodies were love notes written by Mrs. Mills to the married preacher. News of the married couple's scandalous relationship made headlines and spurred gossip around the town. Classic. Classic 1922 when the scandalous affair with the preacher is over, overshadows the fucking the, the murder. murder. Yeah, yeah. The only person who claimed to have witnessed the crime was a strange town resident. Jane Gibson, a pig farmer that lived at the end of DeRussi's Lane, which yeah, I was saw it. near where the bodies were found. I saw it. <laughs> she I told, saw the murders. She told. I witnessed it. You don't have any questions about that? Why? why, why. How did they? What, what went down? What did you see? Yeah, you got murdered. Did you see who did it? Can you give us a description of the killer? Yeah, as a guy. Oh God, you're no help. Yep. Uh, uh, Ting. She told investigators that she had been out riding her mule, Jenny, the night before, hoping to catch thieves in the act of terrorizing her farm. Her testimony became the cornerstone of the uh, prosecutor's case against the dead preacher's widow and her relatives for the murder of the adulterous couple. She was dubbed the Pig Woman by the press, and this name has been associated with the famous Halls Mills case ever since. Wait, okay, so the Pig Woman was the farmer mm-hmm. that witnessed the murder, right? Who and who committed the murder? Well, we don't know, but oh, the, okay, they, sorry. I, the prosecution accused uh, the preacher's wife and her relative and her relatives. Okay, 
Okay. Uh, so the pig woman's notoriety increased more That's and more so as the case mean. went on. Right. Could you imagine being a witness to a murder and getting dubbed the pig woman? Yeah. That's pretty uh, fucked. And it's just because she was a pig farmer. That was it. God, that's really mean. One reason was because she was... Uh, so, anyway, so the notoriety increased more and more as the case went on. Uh, one of the reasons was because she was dying of cancer at the time of the trial and gave her testimony from a hospital bed that was wheeled in every day to the courtroom. And I've included a picture here for Mason to see. Do you fucking yeah. see that? <laughs> is she dead already? No, she's just fucking dying of cancer and still had to give well, testimony. Well, it's just... I so I read a thing about pictures from this time, right? Uh-huh. That when well, in, uh, maybe they're not this time. Maybe they're even older pictures. But like when you see someone that doesn't have like any blur on them at all, it's because they're dead. Because like only people who are dead aren't moving at all, well, and it took such a long time for uh-huh. pictures to expose that it picks up all movements. Uh, well, and, like everybody in this picture is blurry except it, for her. It would have been 1922, so um, maybe the cameras got better. But also, she's just laying down because she's fucking dying. So I don't think she's moving that Fair much. Enough. I mean, she's not doing jumping jacks. Exactly. Um, the pig woman was not liked among neighbors and community members who said she was the biggest liar they had ever met. And as time Jesus, went on, why is her recollections so mean of this the... poor woman. But as time went on, her recollections of the crime became more detailed and began to line up with the scenarios put forward by newspapers and tabloids of the time. Uh, the pig woman's own mother attended the trial every day and would sit in in the front row of the courtroom directly in front of the hospital bed of her daughter and would mutter, she's a liar whenever her daughter spoke. Kind of fucking crazy, right? You never expect your mother to switch up on you like that. Dude, what? uh, What the fuck? It's fucked up, huh? Why is everyone so mean to this poor woman? She's a fucking pig farmer, that's why. It's just, I don't like, I didn't hear one thing, I like, I, I, you know, and I mean, it's not, the story's not about her, but it's just like, I didn't hear a single fact in there that made me even think like, oh, what an asshole, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just, he's like, the fucking piece of shit pig lady, <laughs> her mom thinks she's a fucking liar, it's just like, god damn. Um, what, can you, what do you lie about in the 1920s that gives you such a terrible reputation even with your mom? I guess just the preacher's wife must have been very popular. And so to have somebody be like, yeah, it was her and her relatives. Everybody was like, you shut your fucking mouth, bitch. Who else would it be? He, well, I mean, I it's guess either it her, else, but you know, it's, it's like, either the choir singer's husband. Yeah. Who isn't mentioned, which makes me think there was no suspicion. He, you on know, him. you know, he was just like, oh yeah, no, it's terrible. Oh no, it's so <laughs> sad. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. It's. I don't know. That's um, weird. Hey, guys. It's ad break time. Okay, so we all know that a lot is happening in the world right now, right? And right now, there's a massive outcry for justice from the African-American community, and it's forcing a lot of people to open their eyes to the injustice that has been taking place in our country. Uh, many are turning to literature to better understand their privilege and to try to understand the reality of this situation. Jose and I at here at the Captain's Log are fully supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement. We'll be donating all the funds made by Ad Reads this month to fight for racial equality and police reform. For those of you who want to learn more about the injustices taking place in this country, Audible is a great place to start. As you all know at this point, Audible boasts a collection of thousands of audiobooks, many on the subjects that so many of you are wanting to better understand. And right now, you can get a 30-day free trial by going to audibletrial.com backslash captainslog, or by clicking the link in the show notes. 
I am recommending two great books, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and narrated by Karen Chilton, and The Blood of Emmett Till by Timothy B. Tyson and narrated by Rhett Samuel Price. But if audiobooks aren't your thing, they also have a huge collection of podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. So why not give Audible a try? Go get started on your 30-day free trial now by going to audibletrial.com slash captainslog or again by clicking the link in the show notes. And you'll be helping us donate towards the fight for racial equality and helping yourself out by being on the right side of history. So go get started now and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, they do. Hey, I'm telling a noble legend here. Can can you guess our can you guess our next state, Mason? Uh, Texas. Yes. No. Yes. No. Wait. Wait. No. <laughs> no. It's New York. Oh. Yeah, New that's York. right. We're closing out the episode by examining three legends from the Empire State. Just uh, the Empire State Building. <laughs> from, no, it's called the Empire State. Is it New York? Yeah. I didn't know. I thought it was called the. No, that's the city. Never mind. <laughs> the Big Apple. Nope. That's not what I was gonna say. Mm. I think that's what you were going to say. Nope. The story of Cropsy is as basic as urban legends go. It was a story shared around the campfire at sleepaway camps in Staten Island that told of the sinister Cropsy who was probably an escaped uh, patient from a local mental hospital. He had a hook for a hand and murdered children who wandered alone at night, particularly fond of those who strayed too far from the safety of their campfires. He would sometimes drag them down to the tunnels that laid under the abandoned Seaview Hospital. Every single person who grew up in New York in the 70s and 80s could tell you how horrified they were of the Cropsey legend. Really? Because I would say every single person who grew up in New York in the 70s and 80s would tell you how terrible the fucking Son of Sam killer was, but whatever. No, they were actually really cool. He was in the the 70s, right? David Uh, Berkowitz? He has to have been, yeah. That was like the boom when all the fucking serial killers were like, let's kill people. Yeah, let's get nuts. <laughs> um, now, Mason, I, I will admit that this one is as urban. This this one is a a pretty short ur- urban legend. It's very much like to the point. It, well, it sounds. It. I mean, it already sounds just like a a, w- a way for parents to k- keep their mm-hmm. kids from wandering right. around at night. You know what I mean? The city at night. Yeah. Without I, telling them the brutal honesty of like mm-hmm. you'll just get raped by a dude. <laughs> so they're just like a guy with a hook for a hand is gonna kill you. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, in the seventies when you know instead of just talking to your kids, you just scared them into yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah. I have to clarify that I was unable to find anything more than what I just read. Um, the reason for this is that. Uh, Cropsy is more famous nowadays for being the subject of uh, uh, what is apparently an incredible 2009 documentary by the same name. So most of what I found online was about that. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm familiar with this, right? Mm -hmm. I thought his name was Corpsy this entire Mm -hmm. time. Like yeah. up until this very moment, I thought this guy's name was Corpsy because that sounds scarier. Yeah. And it's, I agree. it's not. It's Cropsy, which mm-hmm. sounds like he should be in like an like Iowa. A cute little. No, he's just like at the Iowa boogeyman. He's Cropsy. He hangs out in cornfields. He fucks up and your crops and hides in cornfields, and then he comes out and he Psst. drags you into the crop and murders you. And he makes you work on the crops, and you're like, no, right? Isn't that every Iowan child's fear to work on the crops? No. <sighs> Go on. (laughs) 
So would you would you like to make your decision then on the spookiness or kookiness of this legend now or after I present you with what the documentary poses? Um, I mean, I think we should, I mean, cause we should probably wait because this is just like every, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. everything, every urban legend is like made to scare people is like, it's a guy and it kills you. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Cause if it, just based off the urban legend for me, it's kooky because it's like, well, who hasn't already heard this story? It's basically Jason or, um, everything. It's yeah. everything. It mm-hmm. is like the most essential basic horror staple in the world it's every killer it's every movie killer and every movie slasher every movie monster it's just like it's a thing that's around wherever the movie takes place and it kills you if you're alone at night yep well you see cropsy was nothing more than a boogeyman for the children of new york that was until the 1980s when children began to vanish cropsy had come to life the person behind the disappearances would eventually be revealed to be Andre Rand. Rand had worked as a janitor at the Willowbrook State School in Staten Island. The institution, originally built as a, a respite, which is like a, like a stopping place, basically, like a refuge, uh, for ah. children with intellectual disabilities, was eventually revealed to be a living hell in the 1970s. Although is, this was, the, is this the Geraldo one, or is that something different? I think that's something different. Okay, there was, I don't know if it was New York or New Jersey, mm. but there was a, a mental asylum, and you can find the video on YouTube, it's uh, nuts, you should watch it if you get the chance of mm. like, oh, the, what's his first name? I always, I, Geraldo, it's Geraldo, right? Mm-hmm. You know Geraldo, the I, guy I with think the mustache. I, yeah, I think I've, I remember it. They, he went in there, and they like got in there, and it was just like every like, like a mental asylum where like kids were just like naked in the hallways, like freaking out, it was horrifying. But anyway, okay, sorry, go ahead. Um, Yeah, so the place sucked, but it wouldn't be closed until 1987, even though they discovered in the 70s that it fucking sucked. Classic. Um, That's the classic how the U.S. deals with mental health issues. (laughs) They're like, oh, no, you know our secret. We're going to keep operating, so... (laughs) Well, I mean, it's it's almost better than it is now, where they're just like, that's a bummer. (laughs) Oh, shit. You're depressed? Fuck. All right, we'll figure that out. Um, oh, you can't. You, see you next you, week. You, you, something has keeps you from understanding the fundamentals of being able to live by yourself. <laughs> Pay us. Figure taxes. it out, I guess. <laughs> oh, you're homeless. Well, I mean, shit. Bummer. That's tough. Anyway, we're gonna destroy bummer. all these empty apartment buildings that we could just convert into housing for the homeless. So. Mm-hmm. Also, we're putting spikes on benches so you're not allowed to lay Fuck on them. You. Fuck you, poor people. <laughs> Get rich. Yeah, well, have money, dummy. I mean, what's so hard about this? It's fucking capitalism, you fucking idiot. The (laughs) children there had been subjected to rampant sexual abuse and corporal punishment, and severe overcrowding led to very unsanitary conditions. It was also home to what has been called one of the most unethical experiments conducted on children in the United States. In the name of hepatitis research, medical staff intentionally injected healthy children with the virus, causing many oh to god. become severely ill as a result. Oh my god. And they just fucking watched them <laughs> pretty much succumb to the illness. Doctor, um, do you think we've... I mean, we just keep injecting them with hepatitis and then we just... Mm, we know how hepatitis works, so mm, aren't we trying to cure it? Yes, but I want to see how it works on children. We've done this a hundred times. We know how it works on children. Shut the fuck up. Shh. Just watch. 
Just watch the little he's... bodies succumb to the illness. Yeah, he's dying. Can we Dumb save him now? Bastards. Do we have a no, cure? No, 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 oh. no. Just watch. What? Just watch. Look at that little fucker. He thinks he... <laughs> this yeah, is... claw at the door. That's gonna help you, you fucking idiot. This is terrible. This is this has gone off the rails. <laughs> I'm so, This is terribly sad. Imagine uh, just doing Nazi research in Yeah, imagine the, the doing that, but then being like, we're the better ones. Yeah, we well, I mean... Good. Listen, America, honestly, we wouldn't have made it to space without the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Operation thank Paperclip. You. Hashtag thank you, Nazis. <laughs> it is perhaps in this environment that Rand developed his sick appetite for kidnapping and murder. The oh, same my year- God. Who? Oh, God. Okay, this is going to sound terrible, but imagine having access to an unlimited amount of children that you can murder mm-hmm. and still going out and murdering other people, too. <laughs> right. It's fucking, that's America, baby. The same year the school shut down, Rand was arrested in connection to the disappearance of Jennifer uh, Schweiger? Schweiger. Schweiger. Yeah, like Till Schweiger. Yeah, a 12-year-old with Down syndrome. So that's fucking cool. This guy sucks. Um, Over a month after the disappearance, searchers would find Jennifer's body in a shallow grave on the desolate school grounds uh, where he was uh, he was homeless at the time. And he was living on the school grounds like now that it had been abandoned. And they literally found her body like a couple feet from his makeshift hut. So they were like, oh, my God, it's pretty obvious that it was you, buddy. Um, Oh, no, I sleep here, but, like, I didn't... (laughs) I didn't see somebody dig a shallow grave and dump a body in. I was sleeping. I was really tired. How do you go from, like, lead conductor of a school to homeless? Oh, he was just a janitor. Oh. So it was a pretty easy slope for him to find. Okay, fair enough. But, I mean, also, the world needs janitors. Just go be a janitor somewhere else. Exactly. Who doesn't need you to sweep their shit? Rand already had a long rap sheet of crimes against children. In 1969, he was sentenced to 16 months in jail for the attempted sexual assault of a nine-year-old. Uh, of a nine-year-old. I don't. It doesn't uh, say if it's a boy or girl. Does uh, it matter? No. Okay. In 1983, he went to jail for kidnapping a bus full of children from a local YMCA and driving them to the airport. A and all the bus <laughs> of children. Jesus Christ! I just. Christ. I liked how. The articles that I read were just like, yep, he did that. They didn't fucking like, they just skimmed over the fact that he kidnapped a whole bus full of children and that just, remember when you could just do that? I mean, I'm sure you could. Don't try it now, but I'm sure you could as well. I just, can you, I just, I've never, like, that's just, it just, it fucks with me because, you know, I, you know, I, I listen to all the serial killer podcasts and stuff. And, you know, they all murder people, but when you think about all the people that get murdered as, like, in terms of a full bus of people, mm-hmm. like, it really puts it into perspective how many fucking people that, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it's a bus full of people yeah. get murdered, and then it's like, suddenly it's like, oh, that's actually pretty fucked up. <laughs> we should it's, probably you, do something about this. When you think about it one at a time, it's like, okay, but when you think about it as a bus full of people at mm. once, you're like, oh, God, no. And although there was not enough physical evidence to charge him police suspected him in the disappearance of at least four other staten islanders alice pereira pereira yep pereira uh, who was five who disappeared in 1972 holly ann hughes who was seven who disappeared in 1981 and was last spotted with rand on the day of her disappearance wait they didn't have enough evidence physical evidence like they couldn't 
you know what I mean? Like they didn't have tangible. Well, this guy murdered. Definitely, we know for a fact he murdered this one person, mm-hmm. and he was the last person that was spotted yep. with this person. But I just don't think we can piece it together. Yep. Eleven-year-old <laughs> uh, Tiahees Jackson, who disappeared in 1983, and Hank Gaforio, a mentally disabled 22-year-old who was last seen with Rand at a diner in 1984. To this day, none of the bodies have been found. The jury for Rand's case could not reach a verdict on the murder charge, as there was not enough physical evidence of his direct involvement in Jennifer's death. He was just buried right outside his hut. Right, also... He once kidnapped a bus full of children. Of children and and tried to sexually assault a nine-year-old, so... However, they found him guilty of kidnapping, for which Rand served a sentence of 25 years, or he received a sentence of 25 years, Again, it's just like, um, our, uh, uh, us as a country is just like, well, we know that he kidnapped her, but we can't prove that he murdered her. But it's then, like, like, a brown person just fucking steals a pack of gum, and they're like, you're going to fucking prison for the rest of your life. What, do you, you got some weed on you? Yeah, you that's life fucking in prison. idiot. Dummy. Rand would have been eligible for parole in 2008, but in 2004, new evidence came to light linking him to the disappearance of Holly Ann Hughes. A fellow inmate took notes of conversations he had with Rand, uh, in which the latter described in detail his abduction of the girl. Rand was convinced, uh, convicted on a second kidnapping charge and given another 25-year sentence. He will not be eligible for parole until 2037, when he will be 93 years old. That's insane that he's still alive. Yeah, fuck that what guy. What was his name again? Andre Rand? Andre Rand. Um... But he seems to be... So, the Legend of Cropsy... He's a fucking ugly-looking motherfucker, huh? Oh, God. He's like... Well, so when you started talking about this, I was thinking about... uh, He sounds like the American Andre Chikatilo. Mm -hmm. And he looks like the American Andre Chikatilo, too, a little bit. uh, Yeah, he's an ugly fucking dude. He has a weird, smushy face... Yeah. That I don't like. It looks like somebody pushed mm-hmm. the top of his face and the bottom. Well, it looks of his like face. someone grabbed him by the cheeks mm. and then put his their other hand like right in the middle of his forehead and just like yeah, like smushed it together. Yeah, and, and it looks like as, he's made of clay and it just was like. As he's gotten older, he just definitely looks like a sexual predator. You know what I mean? Like, do you see these pictures mm-hmm. of him as an old man? No, I did not see those. Well, he fucking sucks. Um, but so the legend of Cropsey was around before him, but it's most so the the documentary goes on to present uh, that, I, and I haven't seen it, but from what I understand, it goes on to present that it's like this guy. This is arguably the guy that propelled this urban legend into the popularity that it has now, and it's the gotcha. reason it, it it lasted so long was because it was tied to the disappearances. Of five uh, Staten Islanders. Um, Jesus. That's like, that's the majority of the Wu-Tang Clan. Five Staten Islanders? Yeah, that's, there's eight of them, mm-hmm. originally. Could you imagine if he, and they were they were around this time. Imagine I mean, if he kidnapped Could them? you imagine if they kidnapped the Wu-Tang Clan? I'd be devastated. Um, yeah, he. That's just a little more perspective for you. <laughs> Imagine if Andre Rand kidnapped the Wu-Tang Clan, I or think, five of them. I you know, think. the RZA, the Jizza, <laughs> Old Dirty Bastard, Inspector Deck, and Raekwon the Chef. But you got Ghostface Killer and Method Man. They got out. Well, duh, yeah. Um, <laughs> of course <laughs> they do. They would escape. Uh, yeah, I just think knowing that he did this and that he is tied to the legend, that's what makes it spooky to me. But just yeah, the absolutely. legend on its own... Is is kooky because it's like, yeah. well, who, somebody has done this better and has more detail in this urban legend. 
you have a very vague urban legend. But when you tie Andre Rand to it, okay, then yes, it fucking scares me. The idea Good. that this I don't man want, was... I don't want Andre Rand tied to me. Who does? Don't don't tie him to me. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't tie that old man to me. Yeah. All right, here comes the next one. I got <laughs> to play a little... Stranger Things uh, were afoot in Long Island in the 80s, Mason. Those Stranger Are we allowed things, to do this? Uh, yeah, 15 seconds. Ah, okay. And it was through the microphone. I didn't insert it in. We'll ah. still get a copyright strike on YouTube, but it's all good. Uh, so yeah, Stranger <laughs> Things were afoot in Long Island in the 80s, or so the conspiracy theorists say. You see, in the 80s, Long Island was home to Camp Hero, which in turn was home to the mysterious, alleged... Montauk Project, which actually served as the inspiration for the Netflix show Stranger Things, which was originally set to take place in Long Island and was being workshopped under the name Montauk before Hawkins, Indiana was decided as the location that the series would take place in. You Mm. see, all the ideas presented in Stranger Things, Eleven, the Demogorgons, and the Upside Down might might have their roots in an incident which conspiracy theorists believe occurred in Montauk in 1983, and ended secret experiments that the U.S. had been conducting on children for four decades. So hey. hold on to your egos, and let's dive in. Hey. Yeah. You mon talking to me? Are you mon talking to me? I don't see anyone else here. You must be mon talking to me. Nice. That was pretty good. <laughs> Fuck you. That was better than pretty good. Wow, that was amazing, Mason. You are a fucking oh, comedy god. Don't pity me, you dick. Keep reading. The rumors that the U.S. had been conducting experiments in psychological warfare at either Camp Hero or Montauk Air Force Station began to bubble up in the mid-1980s. Preston B. Nichols would go on to legitimize the theory when he published detailing retellings... Detail... Detailing... Detailed retellings. Oh my god, hold on. How many times did you just say detailing right there? (laughs) Like seven fucking times. I'm losing it. Uh, He would legitimize the theorizing when he published detailed (laughs) retellings of the supposed events in a series of books. It was the legitimatize of the theorize of the detail retellings. (laughs) In the Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, Nichols recovered uh, repressed memories of his time as a subject in the mysterious experiment. Soon, others would come forward claiming that they had similar experiences and being, and claimed that they were part of the Montauk Project. They would give numerous interviews about their involvement in experiments involving space, time, and other dimensions. As of now, the going narrative leading up to the 1983 incident begins in World War II with another more famous covert military operation, the Philadelphia Experiment. You see, ah, that's where Tom Hanks got... <laughs> never mind. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. fine. Um, <coughs> you know the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. I have not seen it. Ah, it's fine. Keep Who's going. Who's Tom then. Hanks? Uh, he is Colin Hanks' lesser-known father. Oh, yes, I know Colin Hanks, duh, okay. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. In October 1943, the U.S. government supposedly conducted secret experiments in a naval shipyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in an attempt to trick Nazi radar so they could transport supplies to the Allied forces without detection. The Navy has never admitted to these experiments, but conspiracy theorists are adamant that these experiments not only succeeded in making the ships invisible to radar, 
but also managed to make Battleship travel to another uh, time or dimension. Easy. I mean, okay. I was like, well, so that whole buildup, I was like, well, that's weird. Why wouldn't they admit to just doing like a simple like radar thing? Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, radar jamming is a thing. I can't believe they wouldn't admit to it. Oh, it was time travel. Right. Okay. (laughs) Duh. I'm an idiot. I just figured they'd. I just. (laughs) Can you imagine in the 40s, they're like. We got to jam these radars, and somehow, years later, people are like, the only way they could have jammed those radars were if they time-traveled. <laughs> There's no other way they could have done it. No possible oh, way. How else could they have done it if it wasn't time-travel? Oh, buddy, it gets way more bad shit. Listen to this. Um, but once they learned of the negative effects of the overexposure to their own version of the Upside Down, they shut the project down. After seeing, <laughs> Of course they did. So there was a movie made about this, right, called The Philadelphia Experiment. After seeing the Philadelphia Experiment film in 1988, 57-year-old Al Bielek couldn't shake the feeling that he had seen it all before somewhere else. He would undergo various different New Age therapies and would eventually uncover repressed memories of his time having worked on the Montauk Project in the 70s and 80s. He said his memories had been lost So you're saying he he Montauks to a therapist? (laughs) Nice one. Ding! Uh, (laughs) Got him. Uh, so, yeah, he said his memories had been locked away to keep the project secret. You know, naturally. Um, but when his... I, mem- also, I'm pretty sure in the in World War II, they would just murder people. Mm-hmm. They, you don't know what I mean? to, uh, they don't need to hypnotize you. They'll just shoot yeah. you right in the fucking You know head. there was, like, a conversation where they're like, uh, Bill, uh, now we got to keep these uh, boys from talking. I was thinking we could uh, hypnotize them, make them think <laughs> that this all never... Oh. I just shot ah. I shot yeah, them so no, they, don't, I- they don't go talking. They don't go Montauken. Ah. <laughs> and then they high five. All right. And then oh, they were shit. Like, we know about this? this, too. And then they turn around and get shot in the face. <laughs> but when his memories came flooding back, he discovered his name was not Al Bielek, but rather Edward Cameron. And he had also worked on the Philadelphia Experiment with his brother, Duncan Cameron, when both <laughs> men were in their 20s. He sure. would claim at a speaking appearance at the Mutual UFO Network Conference... Oh, of course, yes. ...that sometime in the 1940s, Nikola Tesla had oh, figured yep. out a way to make the USS Elridge mm-hmm. invisible and in the process had sent mm-hmm. him and his brother into the future. Of course. The brothers... <laughs> yep. The brothers would arrive at Montauk's Camp Hero on August 12th, 1983... Yep. During a 1990 speech for the UFO for the Mutual UFO Network, and stay with uh, and stay with me here, Mason, because it okay, it's crazy. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm not. I'm certainly not already confused, so I'm super <laughs> ready for it to get more confusing. Bielik described in vague terms how mm, he. You been, mean Cameron? Yes, he is. Uh, yeah, it's weird that yes. they still refer to him as Bielik, but okay. From this point <laughs> yeah, forward, I'll weird. Describe, yeah. So Bielik slash Cameron described in vague terms how he'd been de-aged, had his memory wiped, and -hmm. had been forced to live out the rest of his life as Al Bielik. He explained how in the early 1960s, he, as Edward, had convinced his father to have another child so they could port Duncan's consciousness from 1983 into the sibling born in 1963. Stop. Stop. All right. That one fucking shook me. That, I know. That, that just juked my brain and broke its ankles. 
I don't, oh, okay, hold on. I don't fucking really understand it, if I'm being honest. So, okay, so he went to his dad and said, "Dad, you need to okay, fuck." Okay, he mom went to his dad in time. the '80s uh, when he was in the future. So he got he no, got no, pushy. no. He went to his dad in the early 1960s, and this was after they had traveled uh, forward in time. Um, okay, so they travel forward in time. He gets uh-huh. back to the present. Mm-hmm. He's he's back to the present. They, he they goes the, to his dad. And he says, Dad, you need to fuck mom one more time. She needs to uh-huh. fucking poop out a baby. And we're going nice. to put Duncan's consciousness from the future. Which Wait, but Duncan is... his bro- Wait, so he already had a brother. Right. Okay, so he and his brother go into the future. Duncan sees some shit. Duncan and Edward go into the future. They Edward both return. Back. No, no, no. They both okay, return. Okay, they both come back. But Edward says we need to, to his put, dad, we need a bro- another brother, we need so, another sibling. So that we can put Duncan's m- future memories that we learned in 1983 uh-huh. into this new child's, uh, into this new child. So Bielik referred okay. to this version of Duncan as a walk-in soul. Sure. He also suggested that a 1983 accident, and that's as detailed as he gets, he doesn't, uh-huh. he never said what that accident was. Uh, but okay. a 1983 accident caused him to begin uh, to begin aging rapidly. Sure. So Bielik's stories would travel around until they caught the attention of Preston Nichols. Wait, hold on. That was... Is there... It comes what? back. It comes back. Okay. It all comes okay. back. Okay, okay. So his stories get around, and then our, our, our writer from earlier, Preston Nichols... Nichols, yes. He Preston ba- B. Nichols. Yes, I, I'm glad that you... That's how I imagine he talked. I, yes. I, there was interviews, but I didn't watch them. Um, <laughs> who backed it all up, saying he had worked with the brothers. He claimed that in the 1970s, they built a piece of equipment called the Montauk Chair a piece of furniture that used electromagnetics to amplify psychic powers. Sure. Duncan Cameron, the walk-in soul version, born in 1963... Wait, hold on. <laughs> what happened to the original Duncan? He just fucked around and had his own life. Um, it, what? Yeah, there's still two Camerons. Or there's still two Duncans, I mean. Yeah, but it's... what happened to the original Duncan? What happened to Duncan 1? I'm... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, why do they need a second Duncan? That's I don't understand why they even needed a second Duncan. I get to store his future memories, but why didn't they need a second Cameron if they needed or a second Edward if they needed a second Duncan? So, the walk-in soul <laughs> version born in 1963 was found to have psychic powers. Uh, you know, because of course it did. Fuck off. And he became the focus of the Montauk chair experiments. Duncan apparently had the ability to manifest objects out of thin air by simply thinking about them. One of the experiments that Nichols would describe... How old was he now? uh, He's he's like 11? uh, Yeah. yeah, Oh, no, but he aged rapidly. No, no. Edward aged rapidly after an accident in 1983. But wasn't he only 57? Is that... Oh, yep. Oh, my head. Yeah. So, oh my god, I think, I think I'm. Oh god. Oh, I think I might be Edward. I'm the walking no. soul of Edward Duncan. I remember all of this now. That's right. So, so one of the experiments that Nichols would describe sounds a lot like when Eleven would track people for Doctor Brenner. See the first, and this is a quote from him. Um. Actually, do you want to read that in your dunk in your uh, 
Preston. Well, voice? this is this is Doctor Brennan, yeah. right? Uh, this is Preston. Oh, okay. The first experiment was called the seeing eye. With a lack of a oh sorry, with a lock of a person's hair, and other appropriate object on in his hand, Duncan could concentrate on the person and be able to see as if he was seeing through their eyes, hearing through their ears, and feeling through their body. He could actually see through other people anywhere in the planet. So Nichols would go on to make uh, claims that. Children were abducted from the streets, orphanages, foster homes, and various other places and used as part of the experiments taking place at Camp Hero. Some were even sent through a portal into the unknown regions of space-time. These abductees were known as the Montauk Boys. After years experimenting with a Montauk chair, Nichols claims that they could reliably travel to other locations such as Mars. At one point, however, Nichols' superiors told him to turn on the Montauk chair and leave it running. Through August 12, 1983. As the story goes, by having another time travel machine switched on, the Montauk project successfully created a time wormhole to 1943, with power at both ends. That's how Ed and the Duncan Cameron of 1943 came through the portal. And that and and the events described by and that's how the events described by Al, Al Bielik occurred. I'm still hung up on the fact that they needed a second Duncan, and you're okay, 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 okay. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Let me, okay, I got it. So, yes. So I just hold. Let me recap mm-hmm. yes, for my do. own. Please sake. do. So Edward Duncan. Edward watches Duncan. a movie about the Montauk well, Project. Well, Al Bielik at this point watches a movie about, right. about the Philadelphia Experiment. Right, and he remembers that it happened. And that and he's therapy, actually Ed He Cameron. recalls that he is Ed Cameron. Mm-hmm. And he had a brother, Duncan Cameron. Yes. Who, who no one has ever heard of. Now. Right. <laughs> and he was sent in the 40s. They were both sent into the future by Nikola they Tesla. They were spent... They were sent into the future by Nikola Tesla. To 1983. And then they came back. And then they came back. And they had a soul, they had another sibling for Duncan to be in because he, uh, unexplained. Unexplained, yes. And then, Mm -hmm. like 10 years later, it's the 70s now, Mm -hmm. and they create a chair. Mm-hmm. Oh no! It's it's 1983. They make it up to 1983 again. Right? Well, in the 70s, they create the chair, right? right? And they use this chair from the 70s until like 1983, right? Because they, when they're then, told to to leave this chair, and on. they also discovered that the new now, Duncan was psychic. Okay, and so they but use was the, the chair, chair to amplify his powers. But the chair is also a time machine. <laughs> Can I guess? Right? I fucking so guess. the chair amplifies psychic powers, but it's also a time machine. I suppose. And then that time machine and the time machine from the 40s that was already created, mm-hmm. it creates a, it's a, just, it's like a, so it's not time machine, it's not free form time travel here. You gotta, you gotta enter through a hole and at this specific time and leave through a hole in this specific time, mm-hmm. right? They create an anchor point essentially between 1943 right. and 1983. Right, so they can only go between those two times. Mm-hmm. Do you notice how all the fucking years in this have a three in it? 1943, 1963, 1983? Yeah, buddy. It's almost like, it's almost like lazy writing. Mm-hmm. It's almost so, like 
the person who made this dumb shit up is just a lazy writer. Nichols kept the Duncan of 1943 away from the 1963 version, but quickly realized... Okay, wait, the 43 is the first one. Mm-hmm. The 63 is the sibling. Right. So we're, can we call him Duncan 1 and Duncan 2 from sure. now on? So Nichols okay. kept Duncan 1 away from Duncan 2, but quickly realized that time travel was way too complex and far too dangerous to be messing around with. But torturing really? children, that's fucking cool. We're okay with that. So he and three other colleagues hatched a plan to use Duncan to shut down the project. Duncan, Duncan two. Duncan one or Duncan Dun- okay. two? Okay. So he says, uh, do you want to, uh, Mr. Dr. Nichols, could you please read this for us? We've finally decided that we've had enough of the whole experiment. The contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering, the time is now. At this moment, he let loose a monster from his subconscious, and the transmitter actually portrayed a hairy monster. It was big. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. It was big, hairy, hungry, and nasty. But it didn't appear underground in the neural. Is that null? It didn't appear in the neural point. It showed up somewhere on the base. It would eat anything it could find and smashed everything in sight. Several different people saw it, but almost everyone described it as a different beast. Nichols would smash all the equipment before the beast disappeared and the project was shuttered. Employees were brainwashed and in, the ni- and in 1984 the lower levels were filled with cement. Nichols and Bielik, until he passed away in 2011... Maintain that these experiments are still going on in a different part of the country. It should be noted that in 2008, a carcass washed ashore of an unidentifiable animal, adapting the label of the Montauk monster. So, what do you make of this strange, conspiracy-filled urban legend, First Officer Schrader? I mean, it's bullshit. What? I mean, it doesn't even track. It, what happened to the original Stranger Things is a better one? is a better version of this conspiracy. Yeah, <laughs> at least it have... makes some sense and it Yeah. And what it... happened to Duncan 1? Fuck if I know, he just fucked off. Uh, uh, but that no, thing did that wash ashore and it's a weird looking thing. That guys. is clearly just a dog who was in the water and got all bloated and gross from being dead in the water. Some people said it was a raccoon is what it what it was. I mean, I can't tell. It looks big, but I can't see its hand. I can't see any of its paws. Mm-hmm. But that's clearly just an animal who gets... Like, I don't know if you've seen anything that dies, like an yep. animal that dies in the ocean, but they get all bloated and discolored yeah. and shit. That's um, clearly just one of those. The base is still there. Uh, sorry. Um, it became a state park. Uh, so you can go onto certain parts of it. Uh, but there are other parts, like the part with the satellite dish. Um, that are closed off to the public. Um, God, but people you know still what? climb the fence and uh, Do you know what happened? Do you want to know what happened here? <laughs> they created something that would jam radars. They created a satellite that jammed. That was able to jam radars, the Nazi radars, but it turns out whatever they were sending out that jammed radars also just gave people cancer, and mm-hmm. that's what happened. End well, of it's, story. It's like the story of the Dulce Air Base, right? Where, what, yeah, it's like you said, something was probably fucking happening that was shady, so the government went to these fucking psychos and were like, hey, this is what we're doing. 
You know what I mean? And they uh, yeah, I to guess, just because yeah. I so many times when shit like this happens, this comes forward about these projects and there's these crazy ass conspiracies. A part of me wonders if the government just did that to distract from the reality to of cover the situation. Up the fact that it's like it's not like a fun crazy story. It's yeah. just like really horribly sad. Like and Project depressing. MK Ultra or Operation yeah. Paperclip. Uh, you or know the, what I mean? Like the, or radium, the Tuskegee experiments. The radium girls. Did you hear about mm-hmm. that? Uh, the watches and clocks used to be made with like radium. Yes. And like painted with it so they yes. would like glow. And this isn't like a government <laughs> conspiracy. This is just like it was just a company or whatever. But you know all these radium girls during World War II were painting these clocks with something that gave them like cancer and shit and they all like died horrible deaths from it and the company was just like yeah uh but yeah so spooky or kooky for you then it's kooky same i don't me. understand what Stranger happened things to duncan is spookier <laughs> i want to know what happened to duncan one uh he fucked off he went and lived in the bahamas and uh he just had um coconut well, but it said rum. it said that the, he had to that, that edward had to keep duncan one away from duncan two which means that was 1943 duncan one though oh so they traveled back in time with duncan two no 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 so remember how at the beginning of the story nikola tesla yeah. sends them into the future well he sent yes. them to 1983 so okay yeah. and that and duncan mm-hmm. two was around in 1983 right so, so did Edward meet his past self? Edward wasn't around at this. He wasn't on the base at this point. Edward's involvement what? was only in the time travel experiment and in convincing his father to. Um, I thought have he was there child. for the whole thing. Wasn't no, that he was Nichols. Preston Nichols was around. He was the one that was like, "I back up all of this, and I'm the he." Nichols was essentially the thing that tied the past and the future together. It's fucking confusing. Don't think I about it. it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. All right. Well, this one is a little more uh, lighthearted and simple. Um, it's one that made New Yorkers terrified of taking a shit. It's the legend of the alligators in the sewers, and it goes like this. It was once a fad among New Yorkers vacationing in Florida to bring back baby alligators for their children to raise as pets. These infant gators would eventually grow up and outlive their cuteness, sad to say. Um, Also, they were murderers, too. (laughs) At which point their desperate owners flushed them down the toilet to get rid of them. Some of these hastily disposed of saurians managed to survive and breed in the dank Manhattan sewer system. So the story goes, producing colonies of giant albino alligators beneath the streets of New York City. Their descendants thrive down there to this day, completely hidden apart from the rare, heart-stopping encounter between sewer gator and sewer worker from human eyes. Spooky stuff, Mason, or just kooky stuff? What do you think of just that, of just that uh, urban legend? I'd be much more scared of them if I didn't know that there were uh, mutant turtles down there protecting <laughs> those sewer workers from those gators. That's funny that you would say that. Um, yeah, I think just as a urban legend, um, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, guess if I was not, uneducated and I didn't know that it's not possible, then I would be like, sure, that's spooky. I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not spooky, but like, I don't. It's. I can get. I get the logic of it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, I get it. I. I, I get it. I guess. I don't hate it. I but I also don't think like I've seen a baby alligator and I feel like like by the time it's not cute anymore I think it's too big to flush down a toilet. Yes. You right. know what I mean? Like I think you could I think your chance to flush an alligator down the toilet is like literally like the prime cuteness of it and then it just gets bigger, too big. Then you have to fucking open a manhole cover and just fucking kick him down there. 
<laughs> oh, that really that, that really made me sad. I didn't think about a poor little alligator getting kicked out. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I'd say probably Kooky. Maybe yeah. Kooky. Ah, it's Kooky. I get it. I get why I get the leap in logic to mm-hmm. where I could understand where they exist. Because, I mean, pythons and toilets is a real thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, yes. So, you know, I, well, I don't know. While there are no colonies of giant albino gators, as the legend states, living in the sewers of New York, as the temperature down there gets extremely cold in the winter and they could not comfortably survive for long. Poop is warm, though. Uh, but no, but the sewers, they, the pipes and shit freeze because it poop gets is, so cold. Poop is warm. You are right. Uh, there have been some occasions where these scaly bastards have been found hey, in the waters of New York. Not their fault. Don't don't alligator shame. Where they've been found in the waters of New York. The most famous instance occurring on February 9th, 1935, when some East Harlem teens spied a gator down a storm drain and then lassoed and hauled it up a clothesline. After they, Ballsy kids. Jesus it's Christ. It's the 1930s. They did not give a fuck. After the eight yeah, foot, I'll beat up an alligator. Yeah, I'll fucking beat him. Hey, beat his ass, Timmy. I got my slingshot. I'm gonna hit him with my slingshot. Oh my god, he's a... eating Timmy's fucking hand. That's oh actually... shit. Yeah, no, I actually think that's obvious, right? We would we're, we're just New York street toughs. We can't handle a fucking <laughs> alligator. After the eight foot, one hundred and twenty five pound reptile snapped at them, Jesus Christ! The teens killed it with their shovels. So yes, New York, New York street tough can take on anything. Um, (laughs) Oh my God! What the fuck? These fucking pieces of shit pull an alligator out of the thing and then have the audacity to be mad at it when it tries to eat Hey, what the fuck you doing? We we pulled you out. Why are you trying to eat us, you fucking cook? Oh my god, people are the worst. Could you imagine just like, well, I put my... It's like the fucking Tiger King shit. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, well, you know, I I put my arm inside a tiger's mouth and then it bit my arm off, so, you know, we had to kill it. Like, no, fuck you. You put your arm in the mouth of a tiger. You dipshit. <laughs> the subsequent story written about it in the Times became widely popular among um, with people in New York, especially because the quote monster was found by young boys in a working man's neighborhood during the Great Depression in 1937. Another- <laughs> We're fucking eating alligator tonight. <laughs> in 1937, another gator would be pulled out of the East River. This one was four foot, eight inches long. Okay, if if a group of teenagers killed this one, I'd be like, I get it. I get how they Mm -hmm. killed it. I don't get how they killed an eight foot pound fuck or an eight foot long alligator. It's fucking crazy, huh? It's New York street tough, man. Why Uh, do they just have shovels? They're New Yorkers in the 1930s. What were they doing with shovels and a clothesline? Looking for treasure. Um, Oh, they're the Goonies. (laughs) Yeah. The barge captain said that the gator was likely too tired to even put up a fight. A week later, a two-foot alligator... Stop capturing him! Leave him alone! Imagine a fucking murderous animal that you see and you're like, you know what, we should fuck with that instead of just letting it hang out <laughs> well, in the water. Well, it's not in its we're natural up, habitat, so we're they, up, they gotta we're up send here him back. A, we're up here in a boat 
It's down there in the water. We should pull it out. Well, it's either you you let it stay in the East River and it dies because the conditions of New York are not enough for a tropical... They right, can't yeah. sustain a tropical yeah, animal. Yeah, sure. Or you pull it out and kill it yourselves no, with no, no. a well, shovel? The kids, yes. But this barge captain, it was just sent back to wherever oh, the fuck okay. it came from. Okay, good. That's nice. A okay. week later, a two-foot alligator shocked Brooklyn subway passengers who were waiting for the subway to arrive after it crawled out of a trash can where it had <laughs> apparently been dumped. A police officer pounced on the reptile and managed to avoid its snapping jaws until another officer tied them shut. Again, imagine taking two officers to be able to stop a two-foot alligator, but just a group of teens with shovels to kill an eight-foot one. That's Another reason why the police should be disbanded. They're fucking useless. <laughs> Replace police with, with teenagers with shovels, with shovels. And a clothesline. <laughs> it is perhaps- they can stop any crime. <laughs> It is perhaps from these incidents that the legend grew. But unfortunately, the only thing you'll find in the sewers of New York City is rats, shit, and four teenage turtle brothers and their sensei father. Um, uh, don't forget Pizza Rat. And Pizza Rat. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, it's time to wrap the show up. If you like the show, make sure to leave a five-star review, which you can do in-app. Uh, We'd really appreciate it, plus it really helps the show, and we'll read your review on the show, just like we're going to do with Braxto23's review, who writes... I got this. Uh, Okay. Yo, these dudes are very enjoyable to listen to. Keep up the good work, boys. Me and my boys are beating the shit out of an alligator with a shovel this this weekend, so we're going to listen to your podcast while we beat up this fucking alligator. Thanks again to Braxstone23 for that awesome review. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash captainslogcast and donate a dollar, or similarly, you can also donate whatever amount you'd like on Venmo by Venmoing J-Via27. Anything helps keep the lights on. Remember, if you donate, it all goes towards improving the show, getting better recording equipment, uh, being able to drown out my neighbors using their fucking laundry machine, um, Mm. Yeah. Mason, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mason Schrader, but I don't use it. So Everybody I mean, go follow Mason right now. You don't have to. I, I'll tweet if people follow me, but you, I don't, you don't have to. Well, you can follow me on Instagram <laughs> at j.valle underscore, and, uh, underscore junior and the show on Twitter at Captain's Log Pod. We recommend various different materials on there, post show updates, tweet some occasionally funny things. Um, so go check it out. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can find me as Jose Via Jr., Animal Productions, and of course the show's official YouTube channel, Captain's Log. Uh, make sure to tell your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it, and if you'd like to tell us uh, how we missed a bunch of details about a certain story or how you totally know someone who attacked? Uh, who was attacked by an alligator in the sewers of New York and beat it up with their fucking shovels? Uh, <laughs> please do so by writing into captainslogcast at gmail.com. You can also suggest episode topics, guests you'd like to have back, etc. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, and any other podcast directory. Thanks to Max Benyon for composing the show's theme. And with that, everybody, we have reached the end of our show. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode. I've been your Captain Jose Valle Jr., joined by... First Officer Mason Schrader, uh, Sr. And this has been Captain's Log. (laughs) End of transmission. Pew!
Nice. Boop. Pew, boop.